Welcome to Disrupting Japan. Straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Today, we're going to sit down with an old friend. Well, I mean, actually, she's still a very young friend, but we've known her for years, so she's. Eh, anyway, she's. She's Akiko. Today, we'll be sitting down and catching up with Akiko Naka, CEO and founder of Wantedly. Of course, we'll talk about Wantedly's amazing growth and the IPO that's happened since the last time Akiko came on the show. But there's a much more important story here. And before we get to that, I should let you know that, other than a brief overview of Wantedly's business model, this show is all new content and conversations. If you want to understand the crazy ideas and questionable decisions that led to Akiko creating Wantedly, and believe me, that's a story you want to hear, I urge you to listen to the original episode at disruptingjapan.com slash show 008. I'll have a link up at the site as well. But today, ah, today... We'll be talking about the best way to sell genuinely new products to large Japanese companies. Some practical advice for anyone trying to take their company into overseas markets, including into Japan. And why the most common advice given to aspiring female founders is actually terrible, terrible advice. But you know, Akiko tells that story much better than I can. So let's get right to the interview. So I'm sitting here with Akiko Naka, the fearless founder of Wantedly. So thanks for sitting down with me again. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. You know, it's really great to have you back on again. So much has changed since we sat down over three years ago. Yeah, I can't believe it's been three years already. <laughs> well, listen, we had a lot to catch up on, mm -hmm. but... For my listeners who did not follow my advice during the intro and go back and listen to our old interview, <laughs> why don't you explain what Wantedly does? Wantedly is a platform where we match users and companies based on vision and values, not only salary and benefits. When we compare our platform with traditional media, traditional job matching platform, traditional ones values more you know, salary and benefits, but our platform focus on uh, why the company do what they do. So more value and culture of each company. So that way we believe users and company can meet people casually and, and that way they can get to know each other better and then eventually those people can have a long-lasting relationship. That's a really radical concept in Japanese HR. Yeah, thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the whole industry, the whole process is built around very rigid job descriptions mm -hmm. and salary scales mm -hmm. and even the resume format is right. pre-decided. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm really glad you said that, that, you know, we are very drastic because every time I explain ourselves, our platform to foreign writers or reporters, their reaction is like, oh, that's only applicable to Japanese market because Japan is very unique. But actually, it's very, Japanese market is very uh, conservative, like yeah. you said now. So... Yeah. <laughs> well, was there 
And does there continue to be like pushback from HR people or from the big companies who just who are saying like we don't want to do it this way? Or in early days, I, I would say nine out of ten uh, pitch we did to HR people was turned down. And uh, most of the pushback we had was HR people would say, Akiko, you don't understand anything about you know, our job. We are so busy. We have to go through so many resumes a day and we have to do so many interviews. We don't have time to sit down and have a chat with people just checking in and you know, dropping by the office. It doesn't surprise me that 90% of the prospective customers said no. But the 10% who said, yes, we want to try this, mm-hmm. why did they say yes? Ah, well, I think the only reason is they trusted me. (laughs) So, yeah, so early users, CEO or people in charge of HR, those people were my friends. And I was like, I was begging them to use Wantley. So, yeah, they probably would try out anything if it wasn't wasn't Wantley. (laughs) Okay, but you you guys have scaled tremendously since then. So last, last thing I read, you had over 2.5 million active users a month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and how many employers? Right now we have uh, around 30,000 clients. So pitching to your friends mm-hmm. is a, a great first step. But what's driven the rest of the enterprise? Has it just been successful case studies where they've seen mm-hmm. other companies succeed? What's, what's driven it? Right. So it's mostly water mouth. I mean, even these days, we don't do any outbound. So it's mostly inbound. Have you had to change the image? So when you first started out Mm -hmm. and during your growth phase, Wantedly was always this kind of quirky outsider Mm -hmm. startup company. That was the whole image. But as you you grow and you scale, Mm -hmm. can you still keep that as a post-IPO company? I mean, I guess a lot of people don't really know that we are public (laughs) because we are still small. Yeah, I, I believe that we still have this image of very innovative and providing really cutting-edge technology-oriented products. But uh, yeah, there have been changes we made as a organization-wise. So in early days, we didn't have any salesperson to you know chase up clients. We only had people to close the deal. But now, so in the past year, we doubled the headcount of salespeople. So I think it's a big change. We have more organized way of selling or closing the deals. So branding and image-wise, it's still the same. You've just become much more efficient and organized Mm -hmm. and scalable inside. Yeah, yeah. So early days, I didn't really believe in having a proper sales team because I really thought, you know, building really cool product will bring all the customers. But reality was... Uh, there's a chasm, and to come over the chasm and go into the main market, we have to have a really strong, you know, Especially human touch. <laughs> enterprise sales in Japan, it's, it's time-consuming. That's very true, yeah. Yes, these days, uh, there are a few other SaaS products like Moneyboard or Smart HR, or also there are lots of foreign products like Slack, Evernote, and Dropbox. So enterprises are getting used to purchasing things without consuming so much time. But yeah, yeah. still. <laughs> but HR is one of the most conservative parts of yeah, Japanese yeah, organizations. As you got bigger and more established, did you find other companies trying to copy the Wantedly formula? Right, right. So I think we saw more copycats in early days. So we started it back in 2012, and I think around 
by 2015, we had more than like 20 or 30 copycats, not only in Japan, but all over Asia. But none of them succeeded. <laughs> yeah. Were, they, were the copycats other startups or were they、uh, large recruiting companies trying right, right. side projects? They're both. Yeah. yeah, so there are many startups and also large enterprises, but、um, none of them succeeded. I think the reason is for startups,、um, I think people just saw the facts Montel is very successful and they just wanted to copy the superficial essence. And they just thought they could copy Wantily, but they will not really truly understand what's the true essence of Wantily. So, so what, I want to dig down into this. So, like the, the true essence. So, were they like just copying the business model?、Mm-hmm. But what, what did they miss? Was it a community that they missed? What was missing for most of these copycats?、Uh, so, I never have really done an、like, in depth study of those copycats. I didn't really you know, pay much attention. But I guess. So, I re- we really value how users visit offices, like casual visits. And I think a lot of startups weren't that persistent in terms of keeping that user experience. So, you know, most of the HR people will say, we rather want to have regular you know, job interview, we don't want to have stick to one to this way. And you don't, if you don't have strong philosophy, you're going to just let those HR apply their, by their rules. Well, I, you know, that's. That's interesting because I always find that is the, the critical balance in all startups. Right, right. So you have to believe in your vision strong enough、mm-hmm. to tell your potential customers no. Right, right. But you also have to listen to your customers to make sure you're building something they actually want. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. So we didn't really follow the metrics of、like、revenue or sales in early days. We just focused on number of Users in early days. So we didn't really have to you know, listen to clients. You know what I mean? I, I, I do, but it, yeah, yeah. I, I think Wantedly existed, it launched at a very unique time、mm. in sort of Japanese economic history. Right.、Um, it, it was this time where there was this tremendous, and it's still with us, there's a tremendous shortage of engineers,、mm-hmm. a tremendous shortage of creative professionals.、Mm-hmm. And Uh, the big companies simply could not hire them. Right. They were, they were kind of panicking about it. <laughs> And I mean, Wantedly just fit that niche beautifully. Maybe. <laughs> But I'm, I'm curious. So, I mean, obviously, a lot of companies have changed their mind at least a little bit in terms of the job interview process.、Mm-hmm. Do you think that's like a permanent shift in culture, or do you think that's just a holdover of, wow, we really need to hire these engineers, so if we have to use this strange process, we'll do it? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure it's a permanent. I think yeah. it's, a, yeah, I think HR, HR people adopted to the fact the shortage is, is really tight. The, the problem that those HR people are having is, Even they pay money to list their postings to like many other platforms. They can't even meet engineers. Yeah. H- have you seen this kind of softer approach being applied to other jobs, non engineering, non creative? So, right now, I think、uh, a lot of people, some people misunderstand us that we only focus on startups, but these days, so we have like hospitals, restaurants, clinics, and、uh, small government offices in you know, rural areas. So, there are, there are many success cases where you know, people are able to hire doctors or like,、uh, chefs 
Okay, so it is not just, so well, that was my mistake too. <laughs> that was my image has always yeah, yeah. been engineers and creatives, but exactly. doctors and chefs and... Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's really changed in a, since we, you know, we talked. Out of, I think, 30,000, 3,000 to 4,000 are startups, but the uh, rest of it are all you know, other SMBs and large enterprises. I don't know. I, I find that really encouraging. <laughs> I, I really do. Just any time that you see that big a ch- behavioral shift in companies or in people, it's something important is going on. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. You know, let me answer your question again. I think I have a better answer. Like why we were able to concur other copycats is because I think we fo- focus more on users rather than like short-term monetization. Yeah, I think especially large enterprises, they do it as an R&D new project. So they want to monetize it within like a short period of time, maybe like one year or two years. And other startups also started wanting these copycats because it looked like easy money. But instead, uh, we really focused on users' growth and didn't really pay much attention to revenue. Well, I've been really impressed at how Wandedly focuses on the, the community. Almost every single job site in the world, it's sort of the atomic unit. The basic unit is the resume. Right, right. And you're not just substituting the idea of a user for a resume. You actually, there are people that interact at the site. They mm-hmm. follow each other. They recommend friends. It, it really is a community. <laughs> Thanks. And, but I, I think that's, that's unique. I haven't seen that in any, anywhere else, certainly in Japan. Right, yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Another thing, though, as you've scaled up, you've launched some new products as well, right? You launched uh, Wantedly People, which was the business card scanning. Yeah, yeah. So we have like a two biggest pillar. And I think Wantedly People is another pillar that we really focus and invest in right now. It's uh, automated uh, AI-supported <laughs> business card scanning up because business card is huge in Japan and people always exchange cards before the meeting starts and since the launch two years ago we already have three million users so that's like the biggest growth we saw in in Wantley's history so it's surpassing Wantley Visit which is a platform to match users in the company and you also launched Wantley Chat yeah, Chad has been out for like some time, but we are not, you know, pretty much energy in it right now because Slack is really, really big. And yeah, they're both really useful products, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem like obvious from a strategic point of view. <laughs> why we're doing what we're yeah, doing? Why you'd suddenly want to be competing with like Sansan? on the business art scanning and and Slack on the chat. Mm -hmm. Are you worried it's like a distraction or is there some really deep synergies that's not obvious? We always wanted to become a infrastructure for people working. And so we don't really consider ourselves as a HR tech company. We always consider ourselves as a tech company that provide a solution to make people happier, excited about their work. Even from like year one, we kept building another R&D product. Yeah, we kept building every year and we failed. And eventually uh, we were able to succeed with monthly people. So yeah, it wasn't like out of blue. We've been keeping uh, trying for three, four years. So is this something sort of like the the Google Labs philosophy where we might see some new (laughs) products in the future? Yeah, I think we're going to work on new product maybe once in two years or so. All right. Yeah. 
You know, there's a couple things I want to sort of follow up on from our conversation three years ago. Mm-hmm. You were saying that the secret to making change happen in Japan mm-hmm. was to do it indirectly. Right. To be kind of sneaky about it. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, maybe I might have mentioned that. Like, not,、uh, not too much outspoken about it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you find that's still the case? Does that scale up as you get bigger and as you get more attention? Can you still be indirect about your goals, or do you find you have to be more clear? This is what we're trying to do. This is our vision for five years from now. I think the reason why I talked about it was that I think、uh, some of the people are really too aggressive, could be sometimes attacking or like sound offensive to people. Well, let's 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 drill down on that because aggressive means really different things to different people.、Mm. So you've certainly been very aggressive in how you've grown wantedly. Right? Maybe not aggressive.、Uh, maybe like offensive. <laughs> so what's the best way to split that up? Is it? It's. Oh, I said that. I think I have the better word. So it's like a big mouth. Ah,、oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think Japanese society has like a big tolerance towards like big mouths or. So people bragging about themselves, right? So those people tend to be create more enemies, and maybe probably the same thing in in the U.S. to some extent. But in Japan, Japanese society has more stronger nature to be offended by people who are, who has big mouths. I, yeah, I, I think you're right, and it's not necessarily even if you're not attacking anyone directly.、Right. If you're praising yourself too strongly, right? <laughs> some people in Japan will get offended by that. But you know, I think that actually works against a lot of Japanese companies、mm-hmm. who are trying to expand overseas. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So because they don't really, they, they should brag about themselves a little more. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I really, truly agree to that as well. So once you step outside of Japan, and when you're speaking to like foreign media, I think you should change your mode. <laughs> actually, I'm going to tease you a little bit because. I remember this wonderful presentation you gave in Okinawa. Yeah, yeah I think I know what you're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you emailed me about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was a great presentation talking about your whole journey from starting to IPO and wantedly, and it was all in Japanese except for <laughs> one one little phrase in English. Yeah. Where you said,、um, "Oh yeah," and I was the youngest woman to IPO in Japan, and I'm kind of proud of that. And then you went right back into Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so, was that that instinct? You were just kind of afraid to brag about your own achievements. Yeah, maybe you wouldn't say that in Japanese. You sound through like big mouth if you say that in Japanese, and probably wouldn't feel right. But in English, it totally makes sense because people talk about it all the time, and you have、totally. to, yeah, you have to express your accomplishments, right? So, yeah, I don't know why, but. Since, given you know, the majority of audience was foreigners, I thought I just dropped that in English. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was great. I thought that was just perfect. <laughs> yeah.、And、to be honest, I wasn't sure it had actually happened until afterwards. I was like, wait, that she just changed into English, didn't she? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah.、Um, so, what, what would your advice be? What's what's the best way to strike the right balance? Because. Startup founders have to brag about themselves. They have to let people know about their company and what they're doing. So, how do you get the word out in Japan without seeming like you're bragging about yourself? That's an interesting question. So, I think you have to have a like record. 
or the facts back up why you were saying that. If you haven't accomplished anything and you just keep blogging about yourself or you know being a big mouse, and then people's gonna start feel offended. So you have to have like a certain track record. Okay, so you you can brag a little bit, but just not not too much. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, some Japanese people, like、uh, sports players, maybe not entrepreneur, but some people are really big mouths, and th- those people get offended. But at the same time, they get praised by fans as well. But they have like they get lots of attention, and they get also get lots of I don't know attacks at the same time. So they have to have a thick skin. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's. It comes down to strategy, I suppose.、Mm-hmm. So bragging about yourself in Japan will get you that attention,、mm-hmm. but、uh, when things start to go bad, right? Yeah, that's everyone jumps on top of you. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's that's true. Yeah, maybe, yeah. When you brag like that, you're definitely taking a risk in Japan. Yeah, yeah. That's a very interesting point. <laughs> well, how about on like kind of a personal level?、Mm-hmm. What did you really have to change about like yourself or your way of thinking、mm-hmm. in growing a company from、mm-hmm. a tiny little project with a couple of friends、mm-hmm. into what it is today? You know, things I f- think sometimes that if I could have done better, start over again.、Uh, one of the things is I could have like burned more cash in early days. We were focusing on users, so we weren't really aggressive about acquiring clients, and that's a good thing and a bad thing. So good thing is like what what we talked about earlier that we were able to educate clients and we were only focused on clients that were willing to work with us. So we could create this culture or atmosphere on the platform, and they were able to scale later on. But at the same time,、uh, I feel like if we were a bit more aggressive about burning cash, maybe like do more marketing or more hire more people faster. At this moment, I could have doubled the size of revenue or headcounts. So. And time is very precious thing. What what held you back? So I didn't know anything about startups back then. I I don't I'm not sure, but back then I I had this weird idea that the sales is not good. Like you know, salespeople, you know, when you have like too many salespeople, that will affect really badly to organization. And having only engineer, engineer is a cool culture. And also I had this idea that marketing, like paid marketing, is like. <laughs> vicious, and you should focus on just you know acquiring users organically. And I felt like acquiring users, even if you pay and if you acquire users, those users are not loyal, so they will like go away anyway. So I I don't know. I had this preconception that marketing is bad or like having sales oriented organization is bad, and I don't know why. But well, no, actually, that's not that surprising. A lot of startup founders, maybe most startup founders that come from either an engineering or creative background, have that same preconception about <laughs> sales and marketing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, probably because most of the experiences they've had with salesmen and marketing have not been pleasant. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's true. Yeah, so that's something that we I learned. Yeah, yeah. You know, when we talked before, you talked about the two types of growth: the zero to one growth right, right. and the one to ten growth.、Mm-hmm. So, zero to one being creating something from nothing,、mm-hmm. and one to ten being taking that something、mm-hmm. and growing it tenfold.、Mm-hmm. And before, you were saying that you were always really attracted to the zero to one. Right. And that's why you left Goldman,、mm-hmm. and that's why you were excited about Wantedly in your previous、mm-hmm. attempts as well.、Mm-hmm. But now you're sort of in a one to ten phase.、Mm-hmm. So, how's it different, and how have you adapted? 
So it's it's very different. So I spend my time most of most of the time thinking about organization, our team, and thinking about another project that we might invest in down the road. So things has changed from like since we last talked, and I think that was 2015, was it? Sounds right. Yeah. So that was like in between being a very small startup and starting to scale. So back then, I really had to focus on organization, hire the right person, making sure people understand our culture. But now, because we have more leadership, I can spend some time more on thinking about new products. Actually, one of the people, the new products, it, I am the product owner. So I have like weekly meeting with the team and. I have like a biweekly meeting, a product review, and I check all the products with, which is rolling out. I don't do that for visit. Right now, it's like a mixture of you know starting up and also <laughs> scaling the team. So it's becoming more fun, I think, compared with 2015. <laughs> okay, so it's it's it is that that balance. The the wantedly as a corporation is in that one to ten phase, but you still have the uh, wantedly people and. Mm-hmm. Perhaps future projects as well,、mm-hmm. going from zero to one at the same time. Right, 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 right. So that's probably the change. Yeah. Let's see. Last time we spoke, you were just getting ready to enter the Singapore market. Right. How how has it gone? Ah,、uh, it's been great. So Singapore team is making revenue, and we have over a thousand customers. Did you follow the same basic strategy and plan you did in Japan? That's what we're trying to do, and I think we failed so many times in terms of global expansion in the past. And I think the biggest mistake I made was to hire someone in Japan and then send that person to those local area. Was the biggest mistake. The local things like customs, cultures, people's you know taste, only local people knows. Yeah, I can imagine, especially a company like Wantedly, where the community is so important. Right, right, right. If someone is moving to a new country,、yeah. it's going to be that much harder for him to. I mean, he'd be building something from scratch. Mm-mm-mm. That's true. Now, did the clients in Singapore and Hong Kong and Berlin did they have the same reaction as the Japanese clients did? Exactly. Saying, like,、yeah. what is this? Why are we going to? You know. Yeah, yeah. I think they are getting the same pushback as we had in Japan. And the funny thing is, <laughs> people in Hong Kong and Singapore and Berlin think it only worked in Japan because Japan is very unique and Japan is very different. But that's not the case, and you only understand that. So that <laughs> I'm really glad for that. You know that it's it's not because it worked in Japan because Japan is unique. It's because we pursued really hard. Yeah, so I think we have to be persistent in other countries as well. It's great. Let Let's talk a bit about Japan. Okay. <laughs> you, you get profiled endlessly as like a woman entrepreneur in Japan. <laughs> That's funny. And what would you do? Yeah. And I promise I'm not going to ask you questions about what it's like to be a woman entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I am going to ask you.、Mm-hmm. Why do you think the media is so fascinated with it? Because there are a lot of women entrepreneurs in Japan. Yeah, but I, the thing is, I still get the same questions from Western reporters as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's not just a Japan thing. It's not only a Japan thing. I think. When you talk to the reporters, are they holding you up like a a role model for younger girls, or are they holding you up as like a strange creature, as some kind of a panda, or? <laughs> I don't know. I think you know the physical features are really easily easily distinguished 
like your color of your skin or the, how your face is structured, or you know, that makes your people ask that question easy. I guess. Yeah, my guess is people are not really thinking much about you know <laughs> the background of the question. So yeah, they just lack of research on the reporter's part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think everybody has like this question that person gets asked like thousand times throughout their lives. Like, for example, if the person has, I don't know, twin sister, and then that that person gets asked about the twin like all the time, or if the person looked like,、um, you know, mixed, like half, and then the person gets asked every time, like, oh, who who's your parents and so on. So probably the same thing. Like the person asking the question isn't really、uh, <laughs> thinking in depth. They're just jumping on an obvious question. Yeah, it's just like yeah, exactly. It's like reactionable, kind of easy. The first thing you know in your mind, kind of question. <laughs> Do you think it's because I, I noticed there's a lot of media attention around women entrepreneurs in Japan, but, but there's also a lot of like、um, seminars specifically targeted at、mm-hmm. at women startup founders. And do you think that's a a good thing, a bad thing, a neutral, doesn't really matter thing? In general, I think that it's a bad thing. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, like women's gathering together and inventing、uh, products that that only focuses on women is you know, narrowing their their potential down. And yeah, in my opinion, I think people should focus more on what they build instead of like who they are. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a that's a really interesting perspective. I hadn't quite thought of it that way. So. In one hand, it might seem like it's a supportive environment, but on the other hand, you're sort of limiting yourself、mm-hmm. by by accepting that. Yeah, by branding yourself as a female entrepreneur, and I don't know. And most of the cases, when you go to those seminars,、uh, people tell you that you should create a product that focuses on women because you're a woman and you have better understanding of those, you know, people. And yeah, yeah, that that sounds like bad advice. <laughs> Off the top of my head, that that does sound like bad advice. Yeah, I, I agree. Or even if those people don't get that kind of advice, they tend to or even end up、uh, providing services that only focuses on women, because that's the only sell that they can do. That fact that they're women. Yeah, and that's going to be extremely limiting. I know. Yeah. So I wanted. I always wanted to、uh, make Wantley known as a tech company. Didn't want to be like known as. A company that founded by a female entrepreneur. Well, listen, Aki. Before we wrap up,、mm-hmm. I want to ask you my magic wand question,、okay. and that is, if I gave you a magic wand、mm-hmm. and I told you that you could change one thing about Japan,、mm-hmm. anything at all,、mm-hmm. the education system,、mm-hmm. the legal system, the way people think about risk, anything at all,、mm-hmm. to make things better for startups and innovation in Japan,、mm-hmm. what would you change? Okay, so my theory of why Japanese startups are not as vibrant as U.S. or China is because the regulation is too strong, especially around like labor, because of the regulation that was made like hundred years ago. The Japanese workers is protected; it's a good thing, but at the same time, it's I think blocking people to move from industry to industry. So, so do you mean like specifically the ability to to fire unproductive employees, or what? What right, specifically right. is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, termination of contracts that really prohibits companies from starting up、uh, really fast. I think in the U.S., the concept of 
quitting or being let let go is not a really bad thing. It's not like end of the world. You can still look for another opportunity, and that way. That, well, in the U.S., you sort of expect it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also, you know, always there is a pros and cons, and you know, having that liquidity of labor market make maybe makes more stressful. Disparity, disparity is maybe like becomes big in in U.S., but at the same time, the con, the pros are. You know that allows companies to start up really fast. So you'd use your magic wand to rewrite that part of Japanese labor law. <laughs> But what's interesting is, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying the advantage is not just the ability to get rid of unproductive employees. The advantage is that would create a more mobile workforce for everybody. Right, right. So I think、uh, labor liquidity is the thing that I, I want to create more. You know, people who want to stay at one company can choose to stay. So, but I think there's too many pressure in the society that people, you know, who has family or house loan, they cannot make decision to take risks and join small startups. Yeah, I'm curious because there has been a shift in that in the millennial generation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm,、yeah. and I'm not sure if it's a shift in attitude or just a shift in the the reality of. The economic environment. So right now, if you are in your twenties, early thirties,、mm-hmm. and you're a creative, you're an engineer,、mm-hmm. it's very easy to change jobs. Yeah, it's true. Maybe easy for engineers. Yeah. yeah. But I think a majority of people, like non-engineer jobs people, like sales or I don't know, and those talented people, I don't know, have this strong peer pressure or social pressure. They cannot move from where they are. Yeah, so I guess it's maybe the the real career track employees still don't have that job mobility. It, it's the the engineers, the creative, the the kind of the workers in the company have the mobility, but it hasn't filtered up yet, has it? No, that's yeah, that's my opinion as well. And I think if labor liquidity、uh, gets high, it gets easier for talented people to make their salary go that, go up. Do you see that possibly changing? Do you see sometime in the near future a fifty-year-old VP of sales using Wantedly to look for a new job? <laughs> We don't have those people on the platform today, but do you see that changing in Japan? Could that happen? Yeah, yeah, I hope to see. But I think you know, having more liquidity in the labor market resolves like solves many many problems. I think one of the reasons why Japan is not really attractive market for foreign worker is because the salary is very low, and that's because it's not really easy to terminate the contract. So that way, the company have to burden the risk of hiring the person eternally. <laughs> yeah, and, but it also it it doesn't incentivize the employees to improve their skills. Exactly. Yeah, true. I, I agree. Even if you become an absolute brilliant programmer,、mm-hmm. you're not necessarily going to advance in the company any faster than a kind of okay programmer.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So, the structure we have in Japan right now these days is not really fit to、uh, our, you know, what we have today. Yeah, the structure was built like many, many years ago. But it certainly it has changed for the millennial, the early thirties. Twenties age seems to be pretty mobile. Right, right. Like engineers and designers, those people that you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. So maybe we'll see it spread. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. That's maybe one thing. I'll if I can change. Yeah. 
Lockie, listen, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was fun chatting with you again. <laughs> I'll have to do it again soon. And we're back. One of the most interesting things that Akiko brought up was the difference between being aggressive and being offensive. Now, this is a very fine line that all startups need to walk. On one hand, you need to have confidence in yourself and in your product. But on the other, bragging about yourself doesn't usually win you friends or business in Japan. This is something that so many foreign startups coming into Japan get wrong, especially American startups. I don't know how many times I've seen people fly into a week of meetings which they brag and bluster their way through, and then they wonder why no business materializes. The best and the most effective way, of course, is to get other people talking about how great you are. Particularly if those people are existing customers. As Akiko's experience shows, even for high tech new economy startups, word of mouth and personal trust still count for a lot in Japan. Akiko's advice to female founders seems like good advice. But hey, I'm in no position to give. Or receive advice about how to navigate the world of startups as a female founder. So I won't add anything to Aki's thoughts on that particular point. But I will extrapolate her comments so, so I can say something to founders in general. Male or female, don't focus on who you are, focus on your customers and their problems. You might be able to get some attention based on who you are, and, and that's great. But never forget that everything you do needs to be focused not on you, but on the people and the companies that use your product and service and who believe in your vision. In the end, it's never about you, it's about your customers. If you want to talk about finding a job in Japan or creating a startup that really fits your vision, Akiko and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 137 and tell us about it. And by the way, after every show, I get a ton of emails asking for introductions or the guest's contact info. Now, obviously, Other than the info our guests share at the site, I, I can't do that. However, most of our guests have been really good about answering questions asked to them in the comments section. So if you want to know more or dig deeper, drop by disruptingjapan.com and leave a comment, and we'll talk again there. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.